Welcome no. to the Super Fun Wacky Potencast Hour. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that is or what that's from, but I just know that that's how the how the beginning is going to start. I'm pretty sure it's The Simpsons. <laughs> I it definitely feels very Simpsonsy. The other thing is that that's funny about it is the idea that we would keep the podcast to just an hour. You 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 know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. You know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. Hello and welcome to episode three forty eight of the fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino, and we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Portland, Oregon, home of the nineteen seventy seven NBA champions, I guess. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. <laughs> you didn't say where you were. I did. I'm nowhere. <laughs> wow. Well, I was never given a name. Uh, I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington. <laughs> you screwed me up completely. Yes. Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Even if I am currently a Blazers fan, I still can't. Get behind I, the 77 championship. You know what? There was the moment that Dame hit that shot against the Thunder. That was the moment that I could get behind it. There you go. That's the home of the defeated the Oklahoma City Thunder in their last playoff go. game. Yes. Portland Trailblazers is what you're you're going for here. Yeah, it's the home of the ended the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, I'm, well, I'm Thunder ahead of them in the standings now. <laughs> Honestly, like I am the Thunder. I am fine with the Thunder being ahead of the Blazers in the standings. Uh, down here for a stretch of three games in four days for the Blazers. Saw them lose to the Lakers on Sunday, then blow out San Antonio on Monday night. And they wrap up this little stretch against Utah on Wednesday. And uh, for this Portland-themed episode, unexpectedly, uh, I am drinking from the hotel bar the Widmer Burr Red Ale, which is the first oh, time I've had wow. this in a while. Yeah, tis the season to warm up with a cold one. This Northwest style red ale is the perfect complement to cozy nights with big sweaters and warm fires to fend off those long winter months. Caramel and dark chocolate malts bring out the indulgent sweet flavor that balances wonderfully with a smooth bitterness that makes this winter warmer a favorite each year. So leave your coat on the hanger and bundle up with a burr instead. Bundle up with a burr. Did you just go down to the hotel bar and get a draft beer? I did. I kind of love that. It's a good move. Yeah. <laughs> So, right. well, first off, a reminder to everyone, if you haven't already gotten your tickets to Pelton Cast Live, it is coming up April 21st, uh, as we mentioned last week, a an NFL draft preview with Danny Kelly of The Ringer. Very excited for that one to talk about these Seahawks first round picks. Can't wait for that one. April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club in Seattle, Washington. Pelton Cast Live, our second annual draft preview. Uh, this time, two times in a row, previewing top ten pick for the Seahawks with Danny Kelly. This, I think, this is going to be a really fun preview of that one. I, we want to get it raucous in there when we're talking about that draft pick. I think people are going to be a little bit more hyped to talk about it. Maybe we won't have a resolution to the Geno situation. We could do just like poll of the room, screaming, yelling about what to do about Geno. Show of woo. Yeah, uh, I can't freaking wait. I I feel like I I agree more with your take about Gino last week than I did then. That's wow. I'll say about things. Wow. There so, we go. Coming around to your take. I don't even really I don't know what my take was exactly, uh, but about the establishment uh feeling differently about Gino now that his contract is going to be much larger. I, let's come back and talk about quarterbacks at the end of this podcast, okay. Cause, okay. because the Aaron Rodgers, I don't want to call it news or whatever, but I do think that partially influences Gino. 
To some degree, yeah. Uh, well, staying on this Portland theme, we are remembering this week Bill Shonley, the original voice of the Blazers from their birth as a franchise through 1998, including, of course, that 1977 title. Shonley passed away on Saturday at age 93. He was most famous for coining the term Rip City, which lives yeah. on as a nickname for both the Blazers and Portland more generally. But before that, and I had forgotten it was this long, Sean spent more than a decade in Seattle working in local radio and TV, he broadcast UW football, the Seattle totems of the WHL, the Seattle angels, of the PCL in the lone season of the expansion Seattle pilots. Wow. That's so kind of awesome. I it, love that you said I'd forgotten about this. A person who broadcast in, in the Seattle decades before you were born teams that didn't exist. Like <laughs> you started naming teams and I have never heard of any of them. You're like, wow, I forgot about his run with the Seattle totems of the something league. I mean, I've read his Wikipedia previously. I was is, at some point cognizant of this information. This is a hockey team? Which one? The Totems? Yeah. Yes. Okay. A predecessor to the Thunderbirds. I so, can't believe you don't remember that that tenure. But if the Seattle Pilots had never moved, there's an alternate reality where the Blazers don't wear Rip City uniforms. Wow. That's actually kind of strange. What it is, is very can you, strange. Can you, is Rip City just a, a nickname? Like... Or is there any meaning to it? Are you going to well, break it down? It's going to be like the fabulous, uh, uh, whatever brothers. I can't. It, it is not like fabulous Baker boys. The fabulous uh, Baker boys. Yes. I mean, the idea is just like this shot ripping through the net. It's Rip City, and yeah. it was famously uh, Jim Barnett, the longtime Golden State Warriors uh, TV broadcaster, who made a shot during that inaugural season, and Sean Lee was moved to call it Rip City, and somehow it stuck. Wow. Okay. So, it was a really nice moment of silence and tribute to him on on Sundays at Sunday night's game. And he had just retired at last April at the end of the, the Blazers regular season from his role as team ambassador that he held for a couple decades well after being a broadcaster and was still a fixture at games. So, you know, certainly a, a tremendous life and career for Bill Shonley. Awesome. So, all right, with that, I think it's time to get into our search for, begin our search for Seattle's best donuts, which is already causing controversy with the listener. <laughs> what? Oh, because you don't like cake donuts? You don't like cake donuts either. Don't put this on me. <laughs> I know you don't like them either. Don't you put that on me. Uh, I, I, I will say the reason that I love donuts, that I, I say that donuts are my favorite food, is because I really like fluffy, airy bread. There's almost nothing to me in the world that is better than fluffy airy bread. So that that is it's what brings me back to donuts. But at the same time, I argued for a long time that Mightyo were the best donuts in Seattle and their cake donuts. So I I'm not as aggressively anti cake donut as you are. Mightyo is exclusively cake donuts. I don't know if it's exclusively cake donuts, but most of the best donuts are cake donuts at Mightyo. I haven't had Mightyo in so long though. Like I'm I'm personally fascinated to try it again it's literally been probably six years since i've had mighty o donuts i mean i think that's part of this search is revisiting some old favorites in addition to finding some new ones hopefully so we decided to kick off as well, we can often you, can do you, before you didn't mention all of the locations and there was one that you didn't have on your list can you go through what you have as the locations read through that list really quick and we understand that they're local favorites or whatever but if there's anything that isn't on the list that really, really stands out. We want to know about it. That is above the pale here. Uh, Cause you didn't have Chuck's donuts in the Renton Highlands, which to me, those are like, that is, that is the city of Renton's number one donut. 
right? Even though there's a top pot in Renton, like the community, the old school Renton community, they this is a Chuck's Donuts community here. So that needed to be on there. Renton, as much as it's sadly behind the curve on a lot of Seattle chains, not the case when it comes to donuts. Uh, so we are beginning this week with Top Pot, which is sort of the, you know, kind of the, I don't want to say most mainstream, but it's the most prominent option yes. here. Like they're clearly the, you know, the Izels of this search, even if they're not as long established. Uh, you have Ninth and Hennepin, Hennepin, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, Legendary Donuts, the aforementioned Mighty O, Dojoy, which we're also reviewing this week. General Porpoise, Dona Queen, Half and Half. Raised Donuts and Cakes, Dochi, which I think we've talked about at some point, uh, Zuri's Donuts and Linwood, if we make it up there, The Donut Factory, Daily Dozen in the Market, Flower Box, King Donuts, uh, Original Bakery in West Seattle, Good Day Donuts, Donut Lab, Aurora Donuts, Good Lazy Donuts, Hot Revolution Donuts, Ooh. Mini the Donut, you, you just mentioned Chuck's, Sunrisa, which is pop-ups and then Black Diamond Bakery and Restaurant. Okay. That's a lot of donuts we have in our future. It is. And we don't have a long time to eat them. This search oh, been, no. Oh, no. The search concludes less than three months from now. I was ready for more donuts. We did two donuts this week, and I would, I would have traveled anywhere for more donuts. I, I traveled to Portland and got more donuts. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. So do you want to talk about the controversy, or just you're just putting that out there? Do you want to talk about the controversy? I feel like I said my piece. Let's just see how the search continues. How about that? I, I mean, here's the thing is, like, it's less a case of, it's not like there's any, I, I mean, maybe Mighty O's best donuts are cake donuts, but it's not like there's places where I'm ruling them out of the search because of the fact that they have cake donuts. Every place that has cake donuts generally has other donuts. You know, uh, there was a conversation with the listener, Chris Wheeler, who mentioned that he was bringing cake donuts. He brought a bunch of cake donuts up from Blue Star in Portland. When he was down here, I didn't a couple even know Blue Star ago. had cake donuts. They're not as prominent. As, I, I looked for them when I was there the other day, but like, it's not like I don't go to Blue Star. I just order different donuts there that I know I'm gonna like more. Yes, so. that's fine. That's fine. It would be good to have a cake donut at some point on the search. If we go somewhere where the number one thing they do is have is have cake donuts, you know, it's funny. I was like driving along during this donut search, and I was like, I just need. I was like exhausted or whatever, and I was driving through the soda area, and I was like, I just need like a little something and Krispy Kreme was right there. And I was like, I'm going to go get a donut or whatever. So I, and then whenever I get one donut, I always get six donuts at least <laughs> or a dozen. What is that thing? Why is it that from one community? cookie always turns into 10 cookies? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody bring me some milk. <laughs> oh, that's from Randy. It's from it? Randy with eight A's. Uh, Randy. Uh, oh, well. Have you ever noticed how one cookie? I mean, Krispy Kreme is interesting. It's one of the few national changes that I will go to on a regular basis in any food capacity. And in I any feel food capacity. Well, like I don't go to like McDonald's very often, even though we now have a breakfast McDonald's breakfast pod. But top pot, I, I I will or Krispy Kreme, I will go to. I feel like it plays an interesting role because there is such to me a dichotomy between donuts as they existed up to about the year two thousand and since then. And obviously, like all food has been rethought in American society since then, because 
our, our parents' generation. They just didn't care really about quality some generalizations. <laughs> All food has been rethought in American society you year 2000 mean, on. All food! Well, like, okay, not all food has been rethought, but you you understand what I'm saying? Like, Panera perfected the sandwich. But, if you, but like, if you think about, like, airport food, uh, stadium food, like, res, fa, restaurant chains, there's a wild divide between how they existed for many decades up until around the year 2000, and then a growing emphasis on quality and people caring more about what they ate and not having the speed be as much of a concern after that you don't think that's a fair generalization i totally agree with you that as the wage gap widened as the middle class shrunk uh generational wealth stopped being a thing we decided to treat ourselves to better food (laughs) there you go we were just like look we're not gonna have a house we're not gonna own stock but god damn it if we don't have good food in basketball stadiums that's it right if i can't get beachers in an airport we might overthrow the government, so they better keep feeding us that Beechers, right? As long as there's tax cuts, tax cuts for the rich, provided we get Beechers in the airport. And never considered Beechers the opiate of the masses until now. Anyways, so like Krispy Kreme started becoming a thing There's a correlation. There is a I'm, correlation. I'm, I'm sure there is. It started becoming a thing nationally around like early, around the early 2000s. I remember I had first had Krispy Kreme the opiate of the masses. in 2000. Because uh, I was on a road trip and we went to a Dodgers game, and if they threw a shutout, if the Dodgers had a shutout, you got a half dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, and they did. And we had like ten people with us and got like sixty donuts. Holy and shit! Did they give I, them to you at the game? No, no. Like oh, you had okay. to redeem them at a Krispy Kreme. But I housed a lot of Krispy Kreme donuts on that trip, as you can imagine. And that was just the straight up, just like glazed donuts. <laughs> yeah, just Krispy the plain Kreme. ones. Yeah. And they were no longer hot by that by the time I ate some. But but then, like it was a few years like later that they expanded to the Seattle area and around, elsewhere around the country, and it was like such a huge deal. And also around that time is when Top Pot got to start in two thousand two on Capitol Hill, which now it's hard for me to like conceive of a time before Top Pot because it seems like such a fixture, but it's not as longstanding as like the you know the the local like ubiquitous favorites in all these other searches we've done with the exception of maybe ramen. Is it that, that location that is, um, I, I don't know. I, I just read that on their website five minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> There's one location that, God, what is the bar that it's next to? It's like well, their, a, their flagship a... location is the one in, in, uh, in so not in Soto in, uh, Queen Anne. There's not one in Queen Anne. Sorry. Well, it's like it's like in Upper Queen Anne. No, I guess it's not in Queen Anne either. I, the I don't one know in what town that Barack yes, Obama that's, went to. That's the one I'm trying to describe and failing some some Peltoncast geography here. Okay, the one that's under the viaduct. Yes. Yeah. No, no not sorry. under the viaduct. Good under God, the we're saying monorail. all these words wrong. <laughs> under the monorail. Should we just start this whole podcast over? On Second Avenue, under the monorail. Uh, that's where that top pot is. But they have 17 locations. 17 the locations. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure if okay. all of those are like freestanding locations or like in places, but then also like you can just get top pot at QFC. Fred Meyer. You know, it's ubiquitously available, certainly. And it's very good. I like, So here's the thing. To me, top pot is an incredible donut, right? And we were sort of talking about this, right? You remember the story about Golden Tate? Golden Tate lived in Bellevue. 
right. right? On top of a location with a top pod. I've been to that top pod. It's the same one that I'm thinking of. And there was one day he was there. It was early in the morning before top pod opened and he smelled their maple bars, hmm. right? Early in the morning like, or late at night? It, no, it was early in the morning. It was like 4 a.m. or whatever because they were making them for that day. They weren't making donuts. or like Same thing, I guess, more or less. It was to prepare the donuts for that day. And he smelled the donuts. They wafted up into his room, right? Like it was a pie on a windowsill. And Golden Tate went down there and just stole a donut because he was like, I need this donut. And because he's a professional athlete and he's not used to being told no. So, but that was like, those donuts are so good. It turned into a fun story. It's fine. That Golden Tate had to have that donut. And to me, that's what Top Pot is. This was, we did this first because they are the, they're the big establishment donut. And because for you, we were having this conversation. You were saying that, look, it's kind of just a donut. Like, there's not that much you can do with. And to that, I say, how dare you, sir? And a phenomenal donut doesn't need all the bells and whistles or whatever, right? The Tavern Burger isn't excellent because it has a bunch of different stuff on it, right? It's just a really fucking good burger. Every piece of it is perfectly done. I'm so not, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that I think the Tavern Burger, there's a more of a description that you can do because you're contrasting it to the styles of other burgers. You know? I guess so. There's a lot of different styles of donuts. And to me, it is just, it is a classic donut, perfectly made. A fresh top pot donut. When you bite into their maple bar, I think and the, you, I think the maple bar is the relatively strongest item on the menu. Granted, I've not tried that many things, but I think that you get to that point when you the very very middle where it's a little bit soft and gooey when it's fresh. The maple bar, the chocolate bar. Sometimes I will get two and I will cut them in half or tear them in half and smush them together to make myself a chocolate and maple donut on each side. It is a beautiful thing, right? That's that is excellent. I think that the uh, the frosting that they use sits on it very, very nicely. And then you have the Bavarian cream, right? The Bavarian cream, when you get to the, to the gooey part of the middle and you get the soft part of the dough, right, where it doesn't cook all the way because it's meeting up with the cream, and you get that, like, the, the like wet textured dough right as you're getting to the cream. There's nothing better in the entire world than that. You have the crispy outside and the soft on the inside. You hit the cream. It is perfect. And to well, me, I'm gonna have as, to I'm gonna have to dispute that there's nothing better than that in the world. Because first off, that's what we're searching for. As well listen, as far as <clears throat> as far as a traditional donut, to me Top Pot is a revelation. And a lot of people might have had Top Pot in places where they're just not as good. To me, the the like Fred Meyer QFC Top Pot, it is a bastardization oh, yeah. of what Top Pot truly is, right? Like it is God, what is the it's like the 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 Frankenstein's monster of Top Pot. It's just it's fine. Like you could tell it's better than a traditional grocery store donut. What are you gonna say? I think it should be like multiplicity. It's the, multiplicity. the clone of and you lose a little something in that process. Every time. There's a little something. <laughs> Really but timely references in this pod. The Mary Shelley's forever. Um, the I I meant multiplicity and Randy. <laughs> I'm just not afraid of Frankenstein. 
So I feel like they have taken a traditional donut, right? Again, you don't have – they're not putting fucking bacon on top of it. There's not a bunch of toppings, right, like Voodoo Donuts. It's not something that is a radically different take. It is a traditional donut dating back to what you're talking about, 50s, 60s-style donuts that are not that different. It is just perfectly done. It's good ingredients. It's cooked the right way, and that is one of the best things you can do for a donut. And to me, I I kind of thought we should – start there as setting the bar for seattle donuts yeah i mean i think to me when i think of so donuts 1.0 or pre-2000 a little greasier i think oftentimes donuts 2.0 you had sort of two forks the top pot school of we're just going to do this better and then you had kind of the voodoo school of we're going to do it much more creatively in terms of way before then voodoo was like in the 90s wait really I'm pretty sure, yes. I think Voodoo's been around for quite a long time. I didn't get a chance to look at their website. Uh, no, I found it in May 2003. Are you kidding me? No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I'm telling you, 2000 is the demarca- demarcation line. That's for the Bush, Bush is elected president. <laughs> we give up hope we're on making, owning homes. We're making this a little too political. <laughs> Literally from that moment forward. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it is a remarkable coincidence that they were started so, you know, one year apart. Wow. I'm a little shocked by that. I thought that Krispy Kreme, or Krispy Kreme, that Voodoo had been around for way longer. Anyway. I, th- I mean, I think the Krispy Kreme thing really encouraged people to, like, start local donut places. Wow. So. So for me, it, it was, Top Pot was the pinnacle of Seattle donuts. That's what we need to, we need to be judging every donut by until I traveled to West Seattle, brand new location right next to the dumplings of fury and had Dojoy donuts. It is, I, I cannot biting into a Dojoy donut. Every bite is how the fuck did they do this? How did they make this product? So can we explain to people the concept behind Dojoy first, which started as a food truck, which is now permanently stationed in Ballard. They've got brick and mortar locations on Capitol Hill. And as you mentioned, in the junction in West Seattle, donuts are made without egg, dairy, tree nuts, or peanuts. And all of their donuts are handmade, icings made in-house, and all natural flavorings and natural coloring like spirulina, beet, and turmeric for blue, red, and yellow. Which I think really stood out to me is the, that natural coloring. When you couple those two things, that every donut is vegan, that it's allergy-friendly for my children and everybody, but then the taste, right? There's things that are allergy-friendly or whatever. Dojoy doesn't really advertise it that much. They're kind of no. just like, yeah, of course we are. You know what I mean? Like they're like, I mean, it made made me consider our other donuts not vegan, which they aren't. I hadn't, hadn't really pondered it until I realized there were vegan donuts. And it's, that's kind of what the perfect item should be, right? They don't need to beat you over the head with what they are. They're just like, yeah, we're that. But also our donuts are fucking killer. That's it, right? It's not, you're not buying the fluff or whatever, right? You're not buying it because it's like, Oh, well, it does all these other things. It is just a phenomenal donut that happens to be all of these other things. And you want to talk about fluffy, airy donuts? And look, they expand the studio space a little bit more than Top Hot does, right? The lavender donut that we had with the fresh lavender on top, 
incredible, right? That's not a traditional donut in a lot of different ways. They're willing to mix it up with their donuts, but at its core, so we had a maple ring, not a maple bar, a maple ring, and that lavender donut that we split. And I had a Bavarian cream the previous week because I've been back to back weeks. I also scheduled a meeting with these people in West Seattle on Friday at Dojoy, right? Also, rip to panic at the disco. Right next door is the sister location or their their uh, sister business, Botanic, at the disco. There's a motherfucking plant shop next door. Literally, what else could you want in the entire world than this corner of West Seattle, right? You have to travel out to the coast. I get it. But you get Dojoy, which for me right now, in this moment, maybe we'll grade these these donuts. It is the belt holder, and it's really not that close. Dojoy, Botanic at the Disco, and Dumplings of Fury right there with a Pagliacci around the corner. Are you kidding me? Have you had Dumplings of Fury? Yes. Okay. We reviewed it on our... Oh, right. Of course. Yes. In our search for Seattle's best dumplings. Yes. It's expanded since then, the location. Uh, I I don't know if I was quite as high on Joy Dojoy as you were. I mean, I think I, I agree that like the the texture of the donut itself is really outstanding. The and the icing, I like the texture and consistency of it, but I did like on the maple ring notice a little bit of an unusual aftertaste that I think came from the natural coloring. I don't know if you I, noticed that at all. I'm not sure. I think they just have a unique flavor of maple ring huh. is really what I have to say. Because the lavender, you don't have that. I, I agree. It's very different. But it's it tasted almost like kind of balsamic to me. I don't know if you got that note. It tasted balsamic to you. Yes. Like there was like and an you're aftertaste describing of this like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily want that on my donut. Oh. <laughs> You, sir, are Donuts 1.0. If you can't handle balsamic on your donuts, that is literally, you said that word, and I was like, wow. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I want balsamic on everything. Okay, I guess that's a a point where we're going to agree to disagree. I don't understand how you could stand against a traditional donut and also not love I mean the lavender donut in particular against a traditional donut that's I not probably the point. if we weren't doing apples to apples donut to donut maple bar versus maple ring I probably wouldn't have gotten the maple ring as one of the donuts I probably would have gotten like a strawberry milkshake or something like that but I'll, the lavender donut to me is what I'm judging it by primarily I think both are good both are phenomenal but the I mean, lavender we, donut was Pelton like... Cast rule of thumb, a uh, restaurant is only as good or it's bad is the best thing on the menu. Which I, I don't know if I fully agree with that because donuts a lot of times, you might have to get down to choice two, three, four or whatever, depending on when you're getting there. Donuts are probably the most, the item that we will talk about the most that you might not have your first choice all the time. I'm you got to go, you gotta go dock in every situation. Place if there's not plan. availability, I'm going to dock the place. Sorry. If there's not availability, you want yeah. them? No, that's bullshit. That is bullshit. That is, in fact, arguing for waste. I don't know if... I mean, it depends how late in the day you're going. I'm just throwing it out there. If you, That's like fucking... Again, you're talking about like... It's pre-revolution, right? Before we got to have all the good food and no generational wealth. That's the kind of thought that you're talking about. You're fucking coming from claim jumper territory over here, Mr. 1990s. Look, Bill Clinton ain't walking through that door 
It's after the year 2000. And the thing that moved here until 1999 either. The thing that we understand in the post food revolution era, as you've defined it, is that scarcity is something we have to be comfortable with. Because the people making the food, it's an art to making that food. It's not about getting the most of everything. We understand, look, you might not always have enough. I have to work in the same way that you have to work. I can't just fucking show up as Mr. 1990s white man in America and expect them to have whatever donut I want, right? This isn't a goddamn Winchell's. Like, but if, I, if they are out of donuts, it's because they maybe it's because people, there's high in demand and they didn't want to end up at the end of the day throwing out a bunch of donuts. And that is how a business should approach the situation. Thank you. I'm sorry. I agree. It's good not to waste donuts. I don't think you throwing them out is the only option necessarily. Just, I, docking points for that, I do not agree with. I just, I don't feel like I encounter it that often. I, I you just seem to be living a different donut experience than I have. I, I, I will throw it out there. I'm eating a lot more donuts than you are. Not in Portland. Uh, Blue Star <laughs> is the only place. I'm constantly at Top Pot where I go in there and I'm like, ah, okay. I've got to move on. You have the tears. You're just like, okay, that's first choice, second choice, third choice. What time are you going there? Like, I understand if it happens I'm like going in the there afternoon all the time. Evening. Every time that a human being could be going to Top Pot, I have been there. There's times where I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm just getting there like an hour before they close. Is it, as I said last week, donuts are a breakfast food. Donuts not are not a, a breakfast food. Donuts are an anytime food. I mean, I'm not opposed to eating donuts anytime, but when I'm buying donuts, it is almost exclusively in the morning. Okay. Well, so yeah, that's, that's just the my box, lifestyle. Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the year 2000. Get over it. I don't feel like I want to do rankings for this search. Okay. But I'm, well, like ratings, I guess. I might want to do rankings, but not ratings. Okay. Just like keep a running list of what we have at the top. Dojo. So. Where, where do you stand if you're ranking these first two? I'm I'm still going top pot. Wow, top pot's number one. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's like an enormous difference, but I'm I'm still going top. Okay. All right. What what are we what are we eating this next week? What are we feeling? Uh, I mean, I, I told you that I really want to do good lazy donuts. Good lazy donuts. Let's do yes. it. I mean, I I have to hit them up, but. I can't, I can't guarantee that we'll be able to get in. It's a limited amount of donuts, if that's okay with you, sir. No, that's fine. It's just when I've gone to the location and there are donuts, that's a problem. Okay. If I have, if I, I can plan ahead, I'm good at okay. that. Good lazy donuts. Are You're driving up from Portland. Could you stop in the south? I'm not. Because I'm driving the... up from Portland on Wednesday night. Not, not on Saturday. Oh, la- oh, you're driving late. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, should we also do oh, like a legendary donut? I see. Yeah, no, no. The, I mean, I would have the Golden State style break in. <laughs> Golden Tate style break in and get some legendary donuts. <laughs> We're not going to do that. It's not as funny okay. of a story as when I do it. It's when Golden Tate did it. We've, we've got to find a couple, of, a couple of locations, but we will, we will chat about it. Yeah, we can also share that on social. So I wanted to talk a little about Portland donuts this week. Absolutely. Because it's my second extended trip here in the last couple of weeks. The first one I hit Voodoo Donut, as I often do. And we, like we've talked about this before in the po- past. To me, the correct answer to the Voodoo Blue Star debate that Portlanders generally come down very anti Voodoo, very pro Blue Star, I would say, again, to generalize, is both. The answer is whatever's most convenient for you is the best choice. 
Absolutely not agree with that, but okay. I think I think a lot of the negative reputation for voodoo is people think of like waiting in line a really long time, which like that can be part of the charm if you're a tourist. If you're not, if you're someone who goes there regularly like like we do, you can order ahead. You can go to the it's second location like, on I, the east side. Have things changed a little bit? Okay, so the downtown location is still pretty busy. I mean, I think especially if you go there on the weekends, yeah, it's going to be pretty busy. I I think there's some other bits to it though. I mean, there's even I, even the east side location can get pretty busy on the weekends. I believe there are some questionable business habits, uh, which again we're comfortable with because all we need is good food now. <laughs> Look, the, the business is one. <laughs> Corporations won as long as we get the good food, but. The I think I think that's part of it, which is why local people in Portland feel a little bit less good about voodoo. I don't know enough about it to elaborate, but I have definitely seen conversations about it. The other thing is just putting a bunch of shit on a donut is like I don't but see, but see that's where I think voodoo is wildly underrated because you talked you about how ch- chomp down on a bunch no. of Captain Crunch on your donut. I mean, sometimes I mean, not necessarily Captain Crunch, but like the the ODB is one of my go tos there with like Oreos and peanut butter on it. Uh, but like you talked about the the uh, the Boston cream at Top Pot, yeah. To me, Voodoo does it better. Wow. Okay. I actually prefer their maple cream donut. Okay. To, to the chocolate one. So, but I've never cut them open and put them together like you do with maple bars from Top Pot and, and chocolate bars. Think about it. So those are my two go-tos. But also, like we've explored deeper in the menu when we've gotten it on our way to Salem, and I enjoy a variety of different voodoo oh, no. donuts. I I like voodoo donut. I think the thing is, again, the reason that I really lean heavily on donuts is like I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to call it my favorite food, right? Is that it's the airy bread part of it. And so when stuff gets a little bit too sweet, I'm not that interested in the overly sweet, which we'll have a conversation about legendary donuts, right? Because that is those are very, very sweet donuts. Um, and I like I like the bread being a really, really big part of it. And if you don't have like a, a really good donut should probably be good even without the frosting in my opinion. And I'm not sure if Voodoo, again, it's been a while since I've had it. I'm not sure if Voodoo is exactly that case. Blue Star, on the other hand, I'm a fucking Portland hipster over here, aren't I? Uh, or do the Portland hipsters, are they past Blue Star? I've heard that they're onto something else. No, no, they're not necessarily onto something else. There are some other locations that I want to check out, but have not yet. Blue Star, I think the flavors, so I, I went in there, the one that's uh, over by like Mississippi Studios and places like that, another plant shop. Um, in that part of town. You're going to want to look for plant shops near your donuts. That's how you know they're going to be good. I mean, yes. Right? I mean, I went there. I went to that part of town. This was like four years ago or whatever to go to the plant shop. And I was like, oh, shit, there's a blue star right there. I'm going there, too. But the thing that I noticed about it is the the frosting on the donuts is radically different flavors than I feel like you would see way more so than like lavender what you're talking about balsamic the one that I had had god it's again it's been so long but there was a, like a spice to it passion fruit cocoa nib it ah, no that's what I had the other day that's that's one of my go-tos but it there was again this was like four years ago so I don't it probably is maybe not on the menu anymore but there was like a consistent that it, it might have been there was no cocoa nib there's no chocolate type flavor What's well, like a very small on the top. 
but definitely okay. like I noted noted the it's tang. like fruity and very tangy. Passion fruit, yeah, passion fruit, cocoa and M. Maybe maybe that was it. it I thought it was excellent. But that I, flavor stays with you. It's it stayed with me. I got in the car. We were driving back to Seattle, and it stayed with me. Uh, you know the traffic driving back back to Seattle from Portland. It stayed with me on to the bridge over the Columbia River. <laughs> As uh, I saw the Apple on Google Maps, letting me know that thankfully I was back wow. in Washington State. Wow. Uh, the creme brulee is another go-to for me. There, they were out of that this time, so I had the Halpia coconut cream. Ooh. Yeah. Chocolate almond ganache is another good one. So, like, plenty of good options at Blue Star. Like, now they're a more expensive donut. Um, and, uh, and so, I, again, whichever is closer to me is the best choice there. So, the other the place I did try the last time I was down here is a, is a place called Sesame Donuts. And that's kind of fascinating because it turns out the story, origin story here, is that the original Sesame Donuts out in Beaverton was a Duncan back when Duncan had a West Coast presence. Okay. You recall the Duncan that used to exist in Burien. Of course. And uh, they just kept doing Duncan Donuts even after they were no longer a Duncan wow. franchise. And so like they basically are just making straight up Duncan Donuts. And it's called <laughs> so, Sesame? Sesame Donut. Now they have multiple locations in the Portland area, including a couple downtown that I and one downtown that I uh, went to because it happened to be the closest to my hotel. The last and they time taste I was like here. Dunkin' Donuts. Yep. Now that to me, see, I've been to in Baltimore Dunkin' Donuts quite a bit because wherever I've stayed, there's always been a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts around or whatever. And we want to get fast breakfast or something. You want to go get a Baltimore Ravens, uh, Ravens flock donut or whatever. This um, one does. <laughs> yeah, but. Having had that as recently as October, I it's not even in the conversation with a Top Pot or whatever. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's like I, one thing I do enjoy about Top Pot, about Dunkin' Light Krispy Kreme, is just the sheer variety of filled donuts, the options that they have. I, I think Dunkin' does not have that many options anymore, though, because they, they're not really that much of a donut place. I don't know. Right? Maybe like you've been going to the wrong locations. All of Baltimore, Maryland is the wrong locations. Where well, have like, you been? You have, I mean, I often go in Boston when I've, I've been at LaGuardia too. But like some, there are some locations that have a more compact donut menu than others that don't have the full donut menu. I feel like most often when I've been there, it's kind of like everybody's getting breakfast sandwiches and then there's a few donuts in the back and you're like, yeah, I want one of those. And they're like, this fucking guy wants a donut or whatever. Like they're just there to toast shit. Make coffee. I've never, never gotten that that sense. All right. So they've definitely evolved, and that's the thing is. But if you are an East Coaster who's missing Dunkin' Donuts, what I'm saying, Sesame do not want to travel place. back to Dunkin' for that to the East Coast for them. What I'm telling you is that's that's the spot. <laughs> Just go to Baltimore, get that Ravens Flock Donut. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to mention a couple other Portland food things. Okay. Number one, we've talked about Toki a couple times on the pod. Yes. Uh, I had been there in the past for their chicken sandwich and their brunch menu. But I've, the last two trips I've gone have gone to dinner there for the, the first couple of times and continue to highly recommend it. Uh, one of the particular standouts on their dinner menu that's not on the lunch slash brunch menu is their chicken wings. Okay. They've got a flight. You can get a flight of four chicken wings. One of them is, it's like chili oil. There's one that's uh, like ramen packet flavoring, basically. Oh, shit. Uh, gochujang. Uh, 
uh, glaze and then a, a like a sesame soy glaze, which is actually quite similar, I would say, to the Pock Pock fish sauce wings. Dang. So those were a real standout. What type of wing are we talking about? Is it a full wing or? Yes. With the tip? Yes. Okay. So today I went, the last time we like split the flight and each of us got two flavors. This time we ordered two separate flights. Okay, good, good. <laughs> the two pillows so we could all try all four flavors and Who are pretty you much with? everything we've tried there. Uh, a, a former, former uh, KJR radio host, David Locke. Oh, I was like, you had me, st- I was like, the fabulous sports babe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fabulous sports babe and I went to dinner. We talked about Mike how Wheeler? I named on our <laughs> Wait, podcast. Name? Mike, not Mike Brian, Wheeler, that's Brian a character, Wheeler. From, character from Stranger Things. Uh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you and the gas man were there. <laughs> <laughs> Their mandu dumplings, also quite good. Uh, and then the rest of the menu changes up a bit, so it may be different by the time you go, but Again, highly recommend it. So after we went to dinner, yes, there was a location across the street that we went to to try out. And it is the most Portland location <laughs> I have ever seen. It was the most Portlandia moment I've ever had. It's called 1927 S'mores Company. And they are doing oh, artisanal s'mores. Oh, yeah. That they are like firing with, you know, the little handheld you know, blowtorch type thing and roasting the marshmallows right in front of you. Wow. Uh, I feel like you're going to have to get there quickly because I feel like as a business model, I have some question marks about how long it takes to individually heat up each marshmallow in the way that they are. Oh, like this, if the, place, this place is going to do well. Like if there's a line, you're, you're probably not going to want to wait is what I'm telling you here. <laughs> but it was also like kind of challenging to eat without a fork because a lot of the marshmallow like fell out of the s'more and I'm like trying to scrape it up with, but they, they hand make everything, including their like graham crackers. It was quite delicious. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would choose it over other dessert options, but it was quite fascinating. I'm really glad I tried it. 1927 s'mores company. Yeah. I, I like the idea that, that we were like talking about donuts 1.0 and it's just like, <laughs> this is like fucking 3.0. <laughs> Right they are, here, they are next level in this shit. When their story, like it's kind of hilarious on their website. I feel like they should just have like the the kid from the Sandlot describing how to make a s'more. I I agree. That's the best way to go here. But apparently, nineteen twenty seven, the uh, first Girl Scouts recipe for s'mores. Okay. It's nineteen twenty seven s'mores. Fair enough. So, be sure to check that out in Portland. Uh, with that, should we get to Coach's Corner? I I was gonna say I don't know if we need to do a coach's corner this week. Oh wow, no coach's corner. I I mean, look, I'm always on my grind, and I think that was kind of the only thing that I was thinking about is just how coach's corner extends so much beyond being a coach. And I think I realized I'm just like all these kids Luca's age have like Instagram accounts that they post, and I'm just like trying to like coach their swing or whatever. I'll see them on Instagram, and I'm like, ah, oh, no, gotta get your arm up or whatever. Keep your weight back or whatever. Uh, and I'm looking around and I see uh, Damon post Nate and Danny, you know, they, they pass the ball between each other. And I look at that and I'm just like, wow, Danny or Nate's form on that pass. You really want to get <laughs> the hands out and the thumbs down on the pass. 
And to me, I think the form was, I, I, let's just keep working on it, right? This is for Danny? No, no, this is for Nate. He's passing the ball. In it. Danny is receiving the pass in okay. the photo. Uh, but for Nate, when you're throwing that pass, you know what I mean, right? You want to get your, your your thumbs down when you're throwing that pass. And he's, I mean, he, he's got kind of like a soft, like he's throwing it kind of like it's a toss, right? I understand it's for photo purposes. But to me, it there's never a good time to do it wrong. So, I, I don't throw passes like that either. I, well, I then you say. throw every pass wrong. Look, no. like, again, even if we're in practice, let's do it right every single time. Even if, it's for, even if it's for a photo shoot, let's do it right every single time because there's no value in learning wrong habits, whether it's for a photo shoot or at practice. It, if you're not going to be committed to doing it the right way, you're really not, you shouldn't be doing it at all, right? You're not getting anything from that experience. So, I, I think that's the important thing to me. But then it also dawned on me that coaching all the time means that you're kind of just being a dick to everybody. Um, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, that's, that's correct. We, we had the older kids had the game off. I will say that the, the younger kids doing very, very well. And uh, did you I'm get also, praise for your coaching this week? Cause you were actually at their game. I, everybody left happy. The okay. the one thing that I am the number one at is in children's basketball game, working the referees in multiple different <laughs> ways. So Mateo played a game earlier in the day, 9.30 a.m. or whatever, and there was this a referee is, this there. This is six-year-old kids. Yes, six-year-old kids. This was not me working the referee. I stood on the sideline just, like, helping out or whatever. I'm not co- I do not coach that team, but I was like, get back to the kids. Like when they were standing down there or passing it in. I literally, Mateo was like sitting on the floor. He was supposed to throw the ball in under the hoop, like their own hoop that they were shooting to. And he wanted to shoot. That, so he just decided that he was going to dribble the ball in and shoot himself. And I literally pulled him back and pushed the ball out of his hands. Proper form, of course. <laughs> Thumbs down. Like I pushed the ball out of his hands to one of his teammates because I was just like, we are not, I'm not suffering from this shit right here. So the ref for that game, she was like, thank you for being down there and helping. I was like, course wow uh and after the game i'm like mateo's packed up all his stuff and i'm like let's go say thank you to the referee give her a fist bump or whatever right because it's a pretty thankless job being a referee for the city of renton children's basketball i will say when you have motherfuckers like me out there like that is it is not a fun job people criticizing you uh so then i get to later in the day that was the Renton community center go to the highlands community center for a game later in the day and I see that same referee there. She traveled to the other stadium and she was like, Hey coach, how you doing? Stadium. Stadium. Yeah. I got Beecher. So we're okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, she's there and she's like, Hey coach, how you doing? And I'm like, Hey, or whatever. And I'm like, that's how you work the motherfucking refs. Uh, wow. But I did also in, in uh stoppage talk. They have a rule about where you can defend behind. And I went and talked to one of the referees. This is literally for, second grade children's basketball and you can't defend past like a green line or whatever and they had one of our kids trapped way past the line i was like hey just because you go past the line and then they come back like it's not like the type of thing where it's like you can you can all of a sudden start defending behind that line because they crossed it one time so i was just like can you just watch that or whatever and i made keep an eye on it i made sure that our kids were not defending past that line. Like I was standing right at it. And I was like, that's where we defend. We do know we do not go past this point because what is the point of having rules if they're going to get broken? 
Then you lose the beaters. But, uh, yeah, then you lose. <laughs> but it's just like, if you're going to have these stupid rules for where you can defend behind, we might as well enforce them. You know what I mean? Like, there's a point that they have them. It's because we're trying to have something that approximates looking like basketball. So you want to be able to have the kids be able to bring the ball up and not my kids get trapped really far away. I'm just like, just watch it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's Coach's Corner. <laughs> Let's get into our roundup, starting with the Mariners who signed DH Tommy LaStella, an all-star in 2019 with the Angels, who was recently released by the Giants, entering the final season of a three-year contract that was giants. to pay him. No, no, it is those <laughs> Giants to pay him $10.8 The M's got him after that bat for the minimum of 720 k uh, LaStella has played every infield position but shortstop in his career, was primarily a second baseman as recently as 2021, but... Recovery from surgery on both Achilles tendons limited him to just 12 games in the field last year with the bulk of his starts coming at DH. Lestella posted an 800-plus ops in both 2019 and 2020 before dropping to 713 and then 632 in his two seasons with the Giants. He will turn 34 before spring training starts, so this might be the end of the line. This could be another Justin Upton situation, but uh, nothing really lost, not much lost if so. Uh, and importantly. Signing Tommy Lestella gives the Mariners another Italian player on the roster. There we go. He's Italian. You know, he is. I it okay. hadn't really occurred to me until the other day when I was thinking about this that Jerry Depoto is Italian, oh, and like maybe I the Mariners have an unusual his entire off season. Right, <laughs> Mariners, <laughs> but the ownership is not Italian. Yeah, the ownership—they're the problem. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe John Stanton. Yeah, I think I that know. actually probably is true. <laughs> The Judd Stanton's Italian? No, no, no. That the uh, like it's not again. Not I think Most well. GMs would be like, yeah, give me all of the money in the world to spend. Yes, but do, I I, it made me wonder whether the Mariners target Italian players unusually <laughs> because of Jerry Depoto. <laughs> and if so, I say keep doing it. Yeah, keep doing it. Uh, the other big news from the Mariners is that Aaron Goldsmith will be staying with their broadcast team after removing his name from the Cardinals search for a TV broadcaster in his hometown of St. Louis. He told Larry Stone that, uh, you know, besides just feeling great about his role in the organization and the roots that his family has put down in Seattle over the last decade, that uh, his new contract will see him give up his national broadcasting duties to prioritize the Mariners. He cited the example of being, I think it was in Atlanta last year uh, when they clinched the, the uh, playoff spot uh, with the Calarale Homer and being up at one thirty in the morning, watching it, you know, on his, oh, on he his, was in his, he wasn't yeah. calling the game. I was just like, that wasn't, that was here. Seattle, no, that's the Washington. point. Is he was there? He was okay. not here. College so he was year. doing like college football stuff, or no? He had a national Fox baseball game on Saturday. Uh, okay. Yeah. So presumably he'll continue to do Fox college basketball over the off season since that since that doesn't conflict with the Mariners. But uh, the fabulous Pelton quotes was discussing this on Twitter from the perspective of the uh, the St. Louis listener, whoever that might be, <laughs> noting that. In his opinion, Goldsmith is a gem like Calabro in the 90s good. And the chemistry with Flowers is right up there with KC and Marcus Johnson, though different, of course. And, I mean, it's harder for me to put into context in baseball broadcasting, you know, not having been in the game for such a long period of time, but totally agree about what a fixture and Goldsmith has already become and what a good job he does. And, and also that, you know, I think he really made the right call because 
any amount of time that you have to spend around the St. Louis Cardinals fan base would be too much time, uh, which is also why April 21st, Pelton Cast Live, do not go <laughs> to the Mariners versus the Cardinals. Pelton Cast Live, it's more important. Uh, but the other thing is, we talked about this. Mike Blowers, if, if he is a broadcaster in the 90s or whatever, obviously Mike Blowers was excellent third baseman in the 90s. Um, one of the Famously. Northwest's finest and South Seattle's finest as well. So, but, South Puget Sound. I, I don't know if I would consider Bethel uh, South Seattle. He's from Spanaway. Oh, I thought, well, yeah, yeah that's, that's South Seattle. <laughs> South Puget Sound. It's not South Seattle. Do you consider Renton South Seattle? No. You're wrong. Uh, I consider South Seattle South Seattle. Totally wrong. Uh, Okay, one of the South Puget Sound's finest, Mike Blowers. But the thing is, he could have been such a traditional broadcaster, right? He could have been like, oh, you got a bunt here or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, shit like that. All, All of the things that people thought about baseball that were totally wrong. Mike Blowers is now quite statistically minded for I mean, who he is the amount of discussion of you know barrels and exit velo on the broadcast it really is a shocking come up from someone who is used to watching 90s style broadcasts and and i think that you have to give aaron goldsmith a lot of credit for that like yeah. to that broadcast you watch the Mariners broadcast and at no point again we watch this shit like football every single weekend where you're just like, this guy is so fucking stupid about the sport. You know what I mean? Like, he obviously, literally name anybody, as long as they're not Greg Olson. But like, and probably sometimes Greg Olson. You're just like, this person could know so much about the sport and also know so little about the sport at the exact same time, right? The motherfucker commentators on the internet, or like people reply guys on the internet, can understand how professional football teams should be operating better than the people calling the game that should not happen right like there should be i think to some degree generationally it's inevitable and look part of it is that mike powers hasn't been entrenched in that position for three decades and maybe you know i to speak no ill of mike powers maybe he'll look a little different if he's still in the job in 2043 but but also you have to give aaron goldsmith a lot of credit for that as somebody who he works it in in kind of a natural way like it doesn't feel like you're being you know, lectured to at any point, which exactly. is a big challenge, I think. Yeah. Certainly speaking from experience there. Uh, yeah. Yep. Lakers fans felt like they were getting lectured this week. Did they? Why oh. would you know about Rui? You didn't like that trade? Yeah, you know, I can see why they would be confident because the past two Lakers trades that I didn't like have worked out so well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is there any Lakers trade that's worked out well? When was if, the last if you go back far enough, yes. <laughs> to the Pau Gasol trade? Like, <laughs> no, no, how far are we talking? I don't think you have to go back that far. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson ended up a good player, but that trade worked out for them. <laughs> and Larry Nance Jr., actually. But they they signed LeBron, so that worked out. Or it's Seattle Kraken. For that one championship and then never making the playoffs again? I mean... Is an individual is a transaction to clear space to sign LeBron? It worked out. I feel like there's certain teams that like yes, winning a championship is great, but it's not like you won a championship with the Wizards, right? Like consistent greatness is probably more important in LA than winning one championship, right? Because again, when you win, ah, but it brings them like every championship matters in their battle with the Celtics. Sure. So I will say that. I, I guess so, but like the Celtics are a good team always. 
Yes, you know what like I mean? the expectation should be higher in LA. The, the Celtics just have basically ne- not been bad for like two decades, right? Uh, no. Oh, the Celtics have basically not been bad for, yeah, since they got Ray Allen and KG, yes. Their worst records. They did have the one season actually where they uh, tanked in Brad Stevens' first year. But you could pinpoint a single season. Right. And the Lakers, it's just like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm sure the Celtics would have been happy to have won the championship that year. But one championship versus in a place like L.A. Again, it's different if you've only won one championship ever. If you won a championship with the Kings, it's a different fucking thing. But I do feel like just the consistent like showing up to the whatever the fuck crypto.com arena (laughs) or whatever. Being able to show that up there every game and being like every game is a huge deal, I think is more important in L.A. That's probably true. All right, Kraken got a thrilling 4-3 overtime win over the New Jersey Devils on Thursday to match their 2021-22 win total. They gave up a shorthanded equalizing goal in the third period, went ahead through Brandon Tanev, and then saw New Jersey force overtime with a goal in the final, I think, minute. Uh, then Andre Burakovsky won it in OT, his second overtime goal of the season. They went to overtime again on Saturday against Colorado in a game tied 1-1 with both goals coming in a two-minute span early in the game. It's really an extra session saw cracking to survive a pair of avalanche breakaways to set up a shootout, only to lose that one one nothing. That result did drop the Kraken out of briefly holding the top spot in the Pacific Division. They'll get a few days off before returning to the ice uh, Wednesday against Vancouver, still looking for their first win ever over the Canucks. We won't truly know the Kraken have made it as a franchise until they beat Vancouver. Uh, They will continue this hamstand all the way up through the All-Star break, so in Seattle for an extended period. Uh, Sounders officially announced the new contracts for Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan last Thursday before heading to Spain, as well as Danny Leva, the 19-year-old Leva signed through 2026 with a team option for 2027, putting him on the same timeline as Morris and Roldan, who both also signed through 2027. Uh, O.L. Rain opened preseason training on Tuesday. Nothing nothing really groundbreaking from their opening day of practice, but uh, getting underway ahead of the NWSL season. All right, now it's time for the update that you are on the story you are following most closely right now. Brianna Stewart's free agency. Stewie revealed via emoji last week that she planned to meet with four teams, all of whom traveled to Turkey. Uh, where she's via playing. emoji is such a great sentence. It's a real, that's a, that's a something that's evolved after the year 2002. Uh, uh, she's playing in Turkey with Fenerbahce, the Storm, the Liberty, as expected, as well as the Minnesota Lynx and Washington Mystics. There's some overlap with Courtney Vandersloot, who was scheduled to meet with the Storm, Liberty, Lynx, and Chicago Sky, according to Howard Megdahl of Locked On Women's Basketball. And uh, to no surprise, my ESPN colleague Ramona Shelburne reported that Vandersloot's free agency is expected to factor into Stewart's decision. What does that mean exactly? Tell, tell me more about that. Did they plan on playing in the same place together, or I don't think it's necessarily that they're a package deal, but certainly Seattle becomes a lot more attractive as option to Stewie if that's where Slew wants to come play. Can they both could end up in New York though? One of them, at least one of them, would have to take a pay cut barring a trade. It is hypothetically possible. What about Minnesota and Washington? Is there actually any chance that Stewie ends up there? It seems unlikely to me. 
uh, Minnesota, if they were to bring in both Stewie and Slew, would 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 definitely need to make a trade. They don't have the cap space to sign both of them. If it was just Stewie, they don't have a point guard under contract. That doesn't that doesn't pass the sniff test or whatever. I mean, Minnesota is a good franchise, you know, well coached with Cheryl Reeves. So I think that's kind of why they're in the mix. And Washington has also been a very stable, well supported franchise. Uh, Mike Chibo stepped down as head coach after this year to focus on GM duties, but his son Eric is taking over as head coach. Uh, but Vandersloot not a not a factor there. Uh, it's also like if you went to other of those places, would they be better than a Storm team with Stewie and Sloot? Then why? No, I mean the, again, nah, they're they're fucking out. I'm just calling it right here. I'm. Uh, I I don't want to rule anything out, but again, it seems unlikely. It doesn't make sense if you're Stewie. When your two options are to be in the biggest market in the world, or maybe not in the world, to to be with an owner at the Liberty who has some of the best resources of anybody in the world, or to be where you've played your entire career up to this point, won championships or whatever, why you would say to yourself, yeah, I'm going to go play in Minnesota. Like I, I just think if we're being realistic, it's between Seattle and New York at this point. It's those still seem like the most likely contenders. So Shelburne also reported over the weekend that charter air travel will be a key factor in Stewart's decision. Stewart tweeted earlier Sunday that she would support efforts to find the WNBA a private travel partner with multiple other players, including several of Stewart's former Storm teammates and other Wasserman clients, sharing their support for her effort. No. So obviously the size have been kind of the most most vocal backers of the WNBA going to charter or travel. Let's hurry the fuck up. Like, I, I don't understand why this is even a conversation. I'm impressed with Stewie saying this is like a workers' rights thing, right? She's saying we need a beachers in every airport and we need private air travel. Well, they're for... not going to be. I mean, if they're flying out of Boeing Field, they would not get the beaches <laughs> wow. at SeaTac. That would be a real loss. Real setback. <laughs> I mean, realistically, even even if we're talking about it this season, it's not going to exclusively charter. It's, you know, probably but this is the direction we're heading. dipping your toe yeah, in the, the water. The WNBA needs to be at the same level and treat them the same level as these other professional sports franchises. And Stewie is saying, this is what we demand this kind of respect from the league and not having to fly. They're flying commercial right now. Yes. That's fucking absurd. Although commercial love travel. It's great. Alaska. Love it. <laughs> love everything about it. But, <laughs> He's got features on the way in and the way out. But for a professional sports franchise, right? Like, these are legitimate famous people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't really make sense. I I think I am totally with Stewie on this. And if that means that Stewie signs with the Liberty because the, the Storm can't get behind that, then they are living in the past, right? They are Donuts 1.0 as far as this conversation goes. The Storm need to be there, and they need to step up in a huge way on this issue. They could be a leader on it alongside Josiah, and they could possibly end up signing both Stewie and Courtney Vandersloot because of it. Pony the fuck up. Let's go. I mean, it's obviously a different situation for the Storm's ownership group in terms of resources than the Liberty's ownership group. We're talking about like opposite extremes. Are they going broke because the of WNBA. it? They're going broke because of it, but they're, they, would, they would lose money because oh! of it. Profit margins might go down. I'm sorry, but get the fuck out of here with that. Well, there is not, money. Not there making... is money for charter air travel in the WNBA. I will not hear any argument against it. I, there is I, money for charter air travel in the WNBA. And the I money is going up in the WNBA. 
long term it is and investment increased investment in the WNBA is paying dividends thus far and hopefully it will continue if, to do so. If they have if they are able to the cheapest ticket at Storm Games is fifty dollars a ticket. I don't think it's quite that high. That's what Jan told me. Maybe with <clears throat> fees it's that. Source is Jan. <laughs> the 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 storm intentionally talked about having a higher ticket price, right? This was an intentional decision. If it is a fifty dollar ticket price in an arena, but and these players are fifty dollar ticket basketball players, more expensive than an NBA game, and they can't have chartered air travel for their players. It is a complete disrespect of the people who are making the game. Chartered air travel is just extremely expensive. I, just want I to make don't that care. Clear. I do not care. I mean, the other thing you have to ask is, like, is that the best place for players to be investing in this strategy, or would players rather just make more money? Both. It's all the same. Everything matters. There's no... This isn't fucking... We'll, we'll, just, we'll take a little bit of fascism as long as we get a little bit of something. You know what I mean? Like, there's... That's not an appropriate comparison to this. You get... You can have everything you want and ask for everything you want at the same time, right? This isn't a middle of the road. Oh, we're scaring people. We're going too far left. We're asking for too much. You can have everything you want at the exact same time in the WNBA. And the reality is, if the storm ownership doesn't want to do it, if they want to keep their net profit Seattle Mariners style, Again, then guess what? They profit. don't have to they have probably... Brianna Stewart. They probably Brian, made money last season because it was Sue Bird's final season. But if on an annual Stewart, basis, the Storm are I not profitable. I guarantee you the value of that franchise has gone way the fuck up. You don't it's, think so? It's gone up a bit. but These I, WNBA I, franchise values are about to skyrocket. Well, they haven't yet. They're going to. I'm. This is. We are right here. You're right here. We're right there. And look, if the storm ownership doesn't want to do it, that's fine. Because they're not going to make that much fucking money having a basketball team without Brianna Stewart and Subert on it. Certainly keeping Stewart will be important for the franchise's value. They they have to get there. And they have to match what the Liberty is willing to offer. Brianna Stewart I mean, is telling them. She is telling them. This isn't a you figure out something else. She is saying, this is how I stay here. And she's the best player in the entire fucking league. And probably, possibly, probably comes with one of the other best players in the league. Who's from, Courtney Vandersloot's from Kent. From We've Kent fucking this. Washington. Not South Seattle, apparently. South no. Puget Sound. Uh, I don't know if I would, South, yeah, yeah. I could be, be they, they are in the game. SPSL. I will be at a storm. What what high school? Kent Ridge. Oh. Or Kentwood, Kentwood, I think Kentwood. I was going to say Wow, she went to Cambridge. It's right there. It is right there. Yes, I agree. If if Courtney Vandersloot and Brianna Stewart are on this team this year, they were a more exciting team than even last year. Just throwing that out there. People are going to be fucking hyped around the storm. And I will say, there is a vacuum of basketball in the city of Seattle that people are looking to fill. Oh, well, we'll talk about UW men's basketball in a second here. <laughs> There's no... Uh, look, my games aren't that close that I'm coaching. The team's not that good. There's nothing else to go to. <laughs> the stadium to. has inadequate concessions. <laughs> uh, I'm working the refs all I can, but the games aren't that close. There's no Sonics. There's no UW men's basketball, I heard. There's nothing else. The other option is you wait for LeBron to show up to the big three. Right? Like, that's it. <laughs> to to the crossover is what oh, you sorry, meant there. Sorry, the crossover. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot did go to Kentwood. Yes, can confirm. Oh, okay. With uh, 
oh my god what's his name josh smith no Where's josh smith i i think he went to kentwood. Have, was he kentwood kentwood yes okay uh, Christina Williams also reported the storm will meet with Senator Isabel Harrison guard Brittany Sykes. Harrison's fit a little tough to see since two of the three players the storm can pretty confidently say are going to be on next year's roster are centers in Mercedes Russell and Ezzy Magbegor. But maybe they, if Stewie doesn't come back, plan to play Magbegor at power forward more. Uh, Sykes fits kind of the need for a defensive-minded perimeter player with Gabby Williams unlikely to play in the league this year, Breon January's retirement. She's not quite big enough that I think you'd want to have her as your starting small forward because she's only 5'9". So it'd be a pretty small backcourt if you threw her out there with Jewel Lloyd and a point guard, but uh, we'll see where that goes. When do you think we'll know about the Stewie free agency? Could be any day now. I would say. So we haven't heard any free agent signing, uh, well, agreeing to terms. You can't officially sign until February 1st, but you could agree to terms like during the NBA, you know, moratorium period at any point here. So okay. if there, if there's a, what is court is Sloot? Is that our nickname? Yes. If we get a Stewie, Stewie Sloot signing, we're doing an emergency pod, right? Let's go for it. Okay. There we go. Uh, also, this is totally unrelated, but are you aware of what the name Enumclaw translates to in Salish? No. Place of evil spirits. Oh, wow. <laughs> Brian Scalabrini. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were referring to your band. <laughs> no, I, I really, really love that. Place of evil spirits. And then the city of Enumclaw, of course, having to spin this, says the name means thundering noise, which I kind of I like it for both. The thundering noise works for Amclaw for sure. Uh, UW women's basketball. I went out to the game last Friday. It was great to finally get a, get to one of their games uh, against number nine UCLA. It was a, part of a competitive winless weekend. They led UCLA by nine at halftime on Friday before basketball losing void. 51-47 when the offense couldn't score consistently in the second half. Is the kind of thing that we say about the basketball that's currently happening in Seattle. Look, they're building a program here. It's it's going to take some time. Uh, they scored just 20 points in the second half on Friday of that loss. Then rallied to force overtime on Sunday against USC with Lauren Schwartz making the tying three in the final 10 seconds. Only to be outscored 9 nothing in the extra session. Lose that one 63-54. Uh, schedule doesn't get any easier Friday at Arizona, which is 15-4 and under our old friend Adia Barnes. But the and ranked number 19 in the AP poll, but the Huskies have a good chance of picking up a win Sunday against Arizona State, winless thus far in conference play. The Sun Devils have been hit hard by injury, had to forfeit their mountain road trip a couple weeks ago with just four scholarship players cleared to play. They were competitive in their return to action last weekend, losing by 13 to Arizona. Did Adia go to Arizona? She did, yes. Okay, so UW never had a chance. I mean, if the timing of when Mike Neighbors had left had been different, I'll always wonder. But uh, at that point, you know, it wasn't clear that when he was, how long he was going to stay the UW head coach. And yeah, that opportunity was impossible to say no. Not enough money coming in. Pay the lawyers too much. Colleges do charter flights. Uh, That's because they're not paying the players. Uh Uh-huh. You know, men's basketball uh, got at 75-72 win last Thursday at Colorado, extending their winning streak to three, overcoming 22 turnovers and hanging on despite a 9-2 run by Colorado in the last 230 to cut this lead to one. Every moment during this run, it seemed like the Huskies were going to lose, but Cole Badgema hit two free throws to extend it to three and then came up with a steal that allowed the Huskies to run out the clock. 
Uh, despite having six turnovers, Keon Brooks Jr. terrific on Thursday with 25 points on 9 of 12 shooting in 38 minutes. It was a very different story for the Huskies <laughs> Saturday in Salt Lake City where they were blown out by Utah. Utes went on a 15-0 run midway through the first half to extend their lead to 19. Huskies did answer with an 11-1 run, but then went down 18 just after halftime and never got any closer than 13 the rest of the way in what tied their largest loss of the season, 86-61. Brooks had 17 points, but this time it took 19 shots. And Utah guard Raleigh Wooster finished a rebound away from a rare college triple-double. This one was, I was trying to watch this on the treadmill, and I did the item and head out. Like, (laughs) I got off, I paused the treadmill or whatever. I was like, I cannot watch any more of this and turn on the football game because I was just like, I am, I have never been more done watching an event it was like 10 minutes in i was just like i'm not compelled this makes me want to run slower watching this game oh it was brutal brutal watch it was like you were running at altitude too yeah huskies back home this weekend to host the arizona schools this being the first time this season the schedules work out with uw men and women playing the same opponents one at home one on the road including their win over the Huskies in Tempe, Arizona State started 6-1 and in conference play before dropping both games at home to the LA schools last weekend. Sun Devils come in number one in Pac-12 play in steal rate, which could be an issue for the Huskies and their turnover woes. They held the Huskies to 41% shooting inside the arc in their first meeting. Arizona's coming off winning a showdown with UCLA last Saturday in Tucson, moving up to number six in the AP poll at 17-3. and aren't nearly as impressive in Kim Palm ranking just 15th. Their offense has been kind of shockingly poor in Pac-12 play, ranking dead last in effective field goal percentage, making just 48.5% of two-point attempts. Azulis Tumelis down to 47% after hitting better than 60% of his twos in non-conference play. The Huskies were able to exploit that in a close game against Arizona in Tucson. Cats shot just 38.5% on twos against the UW's zone. Key to that, Braxton Mia, able to avoid foul trouble, played 37 minutes the last time the Huskies faced Arizona. So. Cool. We're just done. With gonna be, I don't, what am I going to say? Fun weekend ahead. <laughs> they might beat Arizona State. Cool. All right, let's wrap up with a little Seahawks news. Associate head coach defense Sean Desai interviewed for the Vikings defensive coordinator job on Tuesday. He was reportedly on the Browns defensive coordinator list before they hired Jim Schwartz. The Dolphins also reportedly have interest in the former Bears defensive coordinator. I mean, it it would be, I would probably prefer Sean Desai as the Seahawks defensive coordinator. Like, it, it would be absurd if he didn't end up with a defensive coordinator job after this season and you just look at what he did with that secondary right with losing Jamal Adams having so many young players in the mix having the injury to Ryan Nil uh Sean Desai had an awesome year and is clearly somebody who's at the very least defensive coordinator level in the NFL yeah I mean again as we've talked about before I don't put I don't blame Clint Hurt for the fact that the Seahawks weren't more effective defensively overall. I think that's more of a, an issue of the talent and Pete Carroll's involvement in the defense because, again, they've changed defensive coordinators repeatedly with the same results. No, it's it's not Clint Hurt. It's it's also not Ken Norton, right? It's just they need better players Yeah, is, is what it boils down to. I was wondering about that. How different do you think the Cowboys scheme is under Dan Quinn to the Seahawks scheme, which is performance-wise, pretty radically different between the two. Ended up kind of getting roasted 
by the Niners on the ground game in the second half there, but like they played the Niners ultimately quite differently than the Seahawks did. I mean, I don't think the defense was the reason that the Cowboys lost that game. <laughs> like they did it, their job. It wasn't the reason that the Cowboys if, lost the game. If you but put like, the Cowboys defensive performance against San Francisco with the Seahawks offensive performance against San Francisco, that's a win. There we go. I mean, we're taking credit for half that W. But how different do you think their scheme is under Dan Quinn? Because I feel like ultimately the scheme is probably not that radically different. It's just it's uh, skill-wise. The Seahawks have nobody anywhere near Micah Parsons. I mean, I'm not enough of a tape guy to really answer this question about where Dan Quinn is at. We also saw Dan Quinn's defenses weren't that good in Atlanta. <laughs> so, I mean, to your argument that it's more about the players than the scheme, I think that's the that's the element that makes that that point. I think Dan Quinn is probably underrated as far as like i don't know if dan quinn is underrated because i think he's got a pretty good chance of becoming head coach next no, season I, I, but that's that's what i'm saying is I, sure yeah i guess he's probably not dan quinn's time in atlanta i think is kind of underrated though uh, i don't know the year that they went to the super bowl was like their their offense was probably better than their defense right and then their defenses I, were generally not very good thereafter. I think you're looking at it too linearly as offensive coach, defensive coach, and not ability as a head coach. And I think that we have to start looking at these things. I mean, a little if bit you more. think that, but if you think that Kyle Shanahan is a, a very strong offensive coach, which I think is the general consensus here, like he, he gets a lot of credit for whatever success they had that season, doesn't he? In Atlanta. Yeah, he was the offensive coordinator. Sure. I guess so, but like... And by the way, Sark did nothing wrong. His Falcons offensive coordinator, I just want to note that. There's always an ability... Literally, Dan Quinn hired Kyle Shanahan. You know what I mean? Like, there's the ability to be a head coach. That's part of it, right? Hiring good coordinators is part yeah. of the job. So I don't, I don't think you can... Everything funnels to the head coach, is what I'm saying. I mean, the other element is, of course, a lot of things had a funnel to the GM. And one of the things the Falcons famously did was trade up or trade multiple draft picks, uh, you know, in pursuit of Julio Jones, notably. And that left them kind of very vulnerable when they dealt with injuries in years future, which is not an expression. <laughs> in years future. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I think it just boils down to talent, though, ultimately. It's probably the safest assumption. Right, like Kyle Shanahan's still getting the credit. They're, the 49ers' defense is a better unit. When I was watching that game on Sunday, Sunday, it was yes. clear that the most important position group on the field, everybody's offense, defense, special teams, the Niners' defense was the best position group on that field. As much as you want to give Kyle Shanahan and his genius offense credit or whatever, like that Niners defense is just it's an incredible defense and it's an incredible defense because they have really good players and Demeco Ryans is probably a good coach as well but like they just have really fucking good players yeah I'm excited to see Eagles Niners I think these these championship games are going to be pretty good I think so too seeing the Bengals be favored all of a sudden on the road well because of Mahomes health even still I I was a little bit shocked. I think people are getting a little bit... I like the Bengals. I prefer the Bengals to win. But I think people are getting a little too confident in the Bengals. Yeah. That's it's like possible. a, a watch, watch yourself type of game. I anyway. feel like it's hard to assess how good the Chiefs are coming into this game because of that injury. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't know. Anyway, so news about Aaron Rodgers. Seems like there's a lot of smoke around Aaron Rodgers at this very moment. Would you agree that the chances of him returning to Green Bay are probably the lowest they've been? This isn't negotiating for a contract or anything, right? He got the contract, right? There's there's no incentive for this to happen. Aaron Rodgers is not getting anything out of it unless he's trying to position himself for more talent or whatever receiver or something like that. But I just, it feels a little bit different. And it would make sense if the Packers, they saw what the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson. They still have Jordan Love on the roster who played well in the short time that he played this year. If the Packers had any inkling of wanting to move on from Aaron Rodgers and they could get the value for him, now's the time, right? Yeah. If you could get multiple first-round picks for, how is 38, 40? 38. For a 38-year-old quarterback, like, you should probably fucking do that. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about Geno Smith. 39. And I was trying to, like, Geno Smith, Danny Dimes, players like that, understand the quarterback market outside of, because a quarterback, there's no such thing as value, right? Like, value only exists in terms of as much as somebody is willing to pay you, and also, for the most part, somebody else is willing to pay you, right? There's no inherent value to a quarterback or to any position. I don't know that I agree with that because there is an idea that we could quantify how much a player actually provides and what the value of that should be in, you know, if everyone's kind of appropriately paid for their, their production. But if there's nobody willing to pay that money, then that value doesn't exist. It's not what matters for the player, certainly. And if the Seahawks, the Seahawks are going to start low in these negotiations, we know that's what's going to happen. And low is a twenty million dollars a year or something like that, right? Well, low is low is relative. You're not going to start where you think his where you think is the organization his value is because yeah, that's how negotiations work. But there's like insulting low, and then like we're both on the same page here, low. Yeah, I'm I'm just having a hard time looking around the league, knowing that there needs to be a, a. somebody to push his value forward and understanding that Rogers is going to be out there. Derek Carr is clearly available, but some of those teams are going to team is some of those teams are not going to get those guys and then are going to, you know, become even more desperate. Like the Broncos were in that situation last year, right? They were the team that didn't get Rogers when they thought they were getting Rogers. Right. I think there are less quarterback needy teams this off season than there were a year ago. I mean, possibly so, because obviously it's connected to how confident you are in the draft class and teams, it turned out, were very unconfident in the 2022 draft class. And with one notable exception thus far, I've been right to, or no, two notable exceptions. Brock Purdy is the player. Kenny Pickett was the second player. Brock Purdy was the obvious number one. Yeah. (laughs) But even just kind of like going to the teams, there are a lot, a lot of teams paid quarterbacks last offseason. A lot of teams either have young quarterbacks, paid quarterbacks last offseason, and are not going to be in the market for them. It's a little bit hard. I th- I think Do yesterday... Think the, the market might be softer than you were anticipating. I think Rodgers might make the market a little bit softer. Yeah, I mean, it does take one destination off the board if they are planning to start Jordan Love. But you've still got the Lamar Jackson situation out there. There's a lot of variables. And yeah, but that's also if the Lamar Jackson situation is. Yes, yeah, so I need it's a one for one. Exactly. Right. Like 
if Lamar Jackson goes but somewhere Lamar else, Jackson maybe is good the enough that a team that like might feel they're set otherwise suddenly feels it's worth investing in a quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like say in it's Lamar Jackson. Like say it's New Orleans. And otherwise New Orleans isn't looking for a starting caliber quarterback, but Lamar Jackson is enough of an upgrade that in that scenario they are. I, I think the safe assumption is that Lamar's probably going if he's gonna be franchised, right? So that that also like the amount of quarterbacks who are franchised matters to Geno Smith and the destinations. I don't know. I'm just kind of running through the teams in my head, and it's a little bit hard to find the partner. I mean, I think you're kind of coming down to Vegas is a possibility, and it only takes one. If there's one team that's out there exactly. willing to pay Geno Smith $32 million, then the Seahawks are going to have to pay Geno Smith $35 million or whatever. So, and maybe or that's it. $32 million. Or $32 or whatever. But... If there are two or three teams, I, I just am having kind of a hard time. I think the number might be a little bit more muted than we initially. I guess what I'm just going to say is don't underestimate the chaos of the modern NFL quarterback market. And, well, I think that may hurt Geno Smith to some extent. There might be quarterbacks like Lamar, like Aaron Rodgers, who are they're, they're clearly Aaron Rodgers. If you're the Jets or somebody, if you're the Jets, if you're the Raiders. The first quarterback that you're going to try to get is Aaron Rodgers. You misspelled Tom Brady. I mean, I but that that is somebody who does open up a a job on the other side. Yes. Uh I don't know. Anyway, I I was just having having a hard time understanding exactly what that's going to look like. And again, I think the carousel is going to be moving faster every year. But the Aaron Aaron Rodgers being in the mix and possibly changing teams. And it also might mean that the Geno Smith conversation takes a lot longer. Like until in the same way that no head coach has been hired anywhere. It's been quite a while, right? Since the regular season ended, no head coach has been hired because people are waiting it out. Also, there's a lot of very good coaches who are still coaching, you know, like some teams. I I think Demeco Ryans is interviewing, but you can't necessarily fully commit to somebody like that at this point. Until the, like that, that's going to be a factor. Uh, but a lot of teams are waiting on Sean Payton and other coaches. It might take just a touch longer for Geno Smith's situation to be resolved, which might mean that he ends up signing a deal with the Seahawks a little bit later toward training camp or something like that. You know, going into the uh, off season. I, I don't think it's going to last that long. He could be on the franchise tag and then sign the long-term deal then, though, is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, that's that's real. He'll be tagged. I mean, I mean there's I don't no know doubt the... in my mind that he's going to be tagged. But I well, think if he's that tagged, you... then that, the conversation is totally different. It's just a question of whether it's the one-year deal or a long-term deal. He's going to be tagged. There's there's no question of whether Gino will be tagged. I suppose the only way that he wouldn't be tagged is if he signed the contract before then, but I just don't see that. But I could see it based upon everything. Them waiting until training camp to understand what the draft happened well, the there's, there's a date before training camp that's the last day you can sign a contract okay, if you that, are tagged that they, that they, i think they will be up against that 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 is my current perspective i think that gene will be tagged and they will sign a deal with him like that week right before the deadline deadline spur action it's a good rule of thumb july 15th was the date last year so i guess that isn't that far off from training camp so all right july 13th 2023 mark it for the Geno Smith extension. <laughs> Someone please put that in their calendar. Jimmer, that's on you. And I and I think that the the money 
might be a little tiny bit less than what we're thinking. Okay. I think it might be closer to the 30 million range. Yeah, that seems seems plausible. Anything else? Pelicast Live, April 21st. We'll be talking about all this. We will be discussing what's going to be happening. If CJ Stroud falls in the draft, who knows? Things could change very, very quickly with quarterbacks in the NFL. And we're going to hear about it all from NFL draft guru Danny Kelly. And we will not be waiting until the deadline to start the show. There we go. We probably will. (laughs) On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.